You are about to listen to a sermon from Common Ground Church in Rapid City, South Dakota. We hope to see you in person. For more information, visit commongroundcma.org. Um, okay, well, party people, here we go. Um, it is time to start a whole new series. Are you excited or what? Yeah! Psalms! Okay, sorry. <laughs> Just kind of fell flat there, right there. But, uh, I mean, I grew up, uh, I grew up in, in Green Bay, Wisconsin, and uh, I think I told many of you guys this. I grew up in a Southern Baptist church, though, and every single preacher we ever had was from down south. So we had gotten to the very good of preaching, uh, and then a little bit of that growl at the end. So I can do that if we need to. But uh, here we go. We're going to jump into Psalms. Uh, anyway, so Psalms. Um, let me ask you guys a question. What are some things that make you incredibly uncomfortable? Besides me saying Psalms. Uh, what are some things that make you incredibly uncomfortable? Go for it. Anybody. Just shout it out. Yeah. The feeling of flour really bothers me. The, the feeling of flour. The texture is just the worst. That's the weirdest thing I've ever be pretty uncomfortable, actually. <laughs> okay, anybody else? Wow. Top that. Dare you. Cornstarch. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Just rub your hands on some cornstarch this afternoon. That's your assignment. And you're going to feel it in the back of your teeth. It's horrible. Go ahead, Laura. When people are late. When Laura's late, it makes her very uncomfortable. Anybody else? Go ahead. Keep going. What makes your... What's that? Soggy bread. Soggy bread? Gross. Um, soggy stale tortilla chips. Worst thing ever. Oatmeal, even worse. Oatmeal? Oatmeal. Just oatmeal? And kale. <laughs> Which we've, we've labeled as green dirt. Yep, uh huh, green dirt. You can't eat kale. Watery punch Kool Aid or hot chocolate. Watery punch Kool Aid or lemonade. We just made lemonade for uh, refuge. <laughs> I took a sweet of that stuff and it like crunched. I was like, <laughs> so we had to water it down. It was pretty rough. Go ahead, Randy. Just saying oatmeal and kale together? Or? Oatmeal and kale together. That would actually really bother me too. Yep, okay. Anything else? Go to Winter. Any type of awkward scene in a movie, yes. When Winter was like four years old, we would watch the movie Elf. And any time, the moment when he stood up and sang, you know, I'm in a store and I'm singing, she would get up and leave. <laughs> she could not watch it. So if you ever want to embarrass Winter, walk around a store and just start singing. Okay, that's a great thing. Um, okay, here's some things that, uh, I, there's actually many things that make me uncomfortable. One is clowns. Uh, one would be salesmen, any breed, especially car salesmen or insurance salesmen, even worse. Uh, salesmen clowns. <laughs> and the Psalms. Uh, and I, I literally mean that. The Psalms actually make me incredibly uncomfortable. I feel a little bit shaky jumping into this particular series um, when we figured, when, when Nick and I kind of talked and jumped into it. Initially, I was like, yeah, okay, I've never preached through the Psalms. There's a reason I've never preached through the Psalms. Because they make me really uncomfortable, okay? And I don't know if it's the fact that they're poetry, or it could be the fact that I know that they are actually Hebrew poetry. I don't even read English poetry, let alone poetry in other languages or other cultures. Uh, it could be that they're filled with emotional language, and although I'm an emotional guy, I also have this like deep-seated issue with like looking at people's negativity. I like ah, whatever, stop being so negative, just get on with it, right? So like that's all in the Psalms. I don't really connect with them sometimes, but. Regardless, the Psalms are a big part of Scripture. Some of you should know this. 
Trivia, how many chapters are in the book of Psalms? 150. 150. The longest chapter in the entirety of the Bible is Psalm 119. Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is actually a, it's a very lengthy poem. Um, I'm going to give you some kind of uh, some perspectives on the Psalms. We're going to call these Psalmspectives. It's coming up any minute now. Any minute now. Here it comes. Psalmspectives. Okay. Uh, here's just some things to remind yourself about the Psalms, and these are really important. And actually, I'm, I'm going to repeat these each week because you know I'm into repetition. Psalms are poems or songs. Okay, they can be either some rhyme, some have meter, some are alphabetical. Um, Psalms they helped ancient Jews develop a prayer language. We all have a prayer language, don't we? Some people would say, and all God's people said, yeah. And then the people are like. Okay, we developed prayer languages like that. Somebody said today, God is good. There used to be this prayer language that we would say, God is good. And the whole people would be like, all the time. And I'd be like, all the time. God is good. And there's like this weird like repetition thing, right? We learn that. We learn prayer languages from our, from our parents, from our church. Uh, some people use the word just 97 times in a, a prayer. And they've learned that just. They just learned that just from somewhere just. And just, I think that just, just, oh, great. Um, some people, that's how, the, but the, the Psalms is how um, Jewish people, ancient Jews, learned prayer language. And actually Jews today learn their prayer language through the Psalms. Uh, Psalms are practical, daily, heart of worship for the Jewish people. What, did I, what do I do each and every day? How's my day going? What is this like? What day is it? I'm going to actually pray through Psalms to help me get a hold on my day. Um, Doug's told me about um, some monks. This is a Christian thing too. There's, some, there's a group of monks that pray through the Psalms all the time as a prayer for the whole world. That's what they believe their goal. That's what they believe their mantle has been given. It's a beautiful thing, right? You actually can pray through these Psalms. Uh, psalms are also the standard because uh, who has wrote most of the Psalms? That would be David. David. Yeah, I was going to say it starts with D and rhymes with. David. Yep, so uh, it's David. Um, he is the king who's a worshiping king. He, it sets the standard for a humble king. And Jesus actually refers to, and the apostles, they refer to the Psalms boatloads of times. Boatloads of times. Uh, Psalms are also poems that are intended to be about feelings. They're intended to be about feelings. When you read the Psalms, you should be getting a feeling off of them, an emotion off of them. That is correct. The Psalms are not necessarily theological, where you're building a, you know, a huge uh, theology off of them. They're actually emotional of your experience, the human experience of who God is. And so that's really helpful. This is good hermeneutics. Uh, hermeneutics? Yeah, hermeneutics is the study of Scripture, and the proper interpretation of the Psalms is you actually have to dwell in the feelings, the emotions that are in the Psalms. It's one of the reasons why I struggle with them. But one of the most interesting part of the Psalms is the thing that we're going to focus on during this entire series, found only in the Psalms and one chapter in the book of Habakkuk, and that is the word Selah. So we're going to focus on. We've picked seven psalms we're going to work through. There's 150 of them. How do you pick seven? Well, we picked ones with more than three selahs. So that, that's that's how that's how we picked it. I mean, that's like we're not like super spiritual praying through all these stuff. We're like, hey, let's go that word more times. So, okay, let's do it. Right. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to work through the term selah. Selah is more than just a cruddy contemporary Christian music group. It is a word that has really no easy definition. It's not expressly defined. It is sometimes sometimes translated with the word salal, 
which is to lift up or exalt, to praise. Uh, it's also sometimes translated like the word kala. And kala is to measure or to hang in the balance. But many theologians, most theologians and translators, simply believe it to be a musical term, uh, like a rest or a change in mood or tempo in the music. The Babylon Bee believes it to be a command for a face-melting guitar solo. So I just want you to know that. If you don't read the Babylon Bee, you need to. <laughs> but, yeah, sorry, you just have to think about that for a while. Um, so, but here's what I think, and uh, and I'm going to remind you of this over the next few weeks, and we're going to put this actually to the test over the next few weeks. I'm going to I'm going to propose a hypothesis of what I believe these sailors to be, and I want you to test this along with me. Is I believe that this this is a place to stop and process the weight and the feeling that you just that you just felt in what was said, like to stop and just sit in that feeling. That's what I think the sailors are. Little piece of trivial information. Uh, Hebrew does not have, and neither does Greek. Hebrew nor Greek. They don't have punctuation. So, like when we're reading exclamation points and commas and periods, the translators are putting them in there, and they're doing a fantastic job doing those things. But there's no punctuation in the Hebrew language. There's just a continual run-on of ands and this and this and this and this from Genesis chapter one all the way till you hit the Psalms, and then the Selah is almost like a period for the first time ever in God's. In the, in the original written language, okay? So the Psalms are this moment where I think we're just going to stop and we're going to wait in that. We're going to weigh, we're going to weigh everything in this. Yes. It's like a timeout. We're going to give Christina a timeout. So, uh, if you're ready, let's jump into the first of our Psalms, of our Selah Psalms. Psalm 3 is where we're going to be. So open your Bible, grab your Bible. If you didn't bring one, then, um, you should be publicly ridiculed because this is church. Uh, okay, Psalm chapter 3. Uh, it's an eight-verse psalm. I'm not going to go through all eight verses. I'm actually going to focus on just the three selahs here. And we're going to read the, the passage or the chunk, and then I'm just going to talk about this. So, uh, Psalm chapter 3. O Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. Selah. I'm going to read that again because I, I just want to practice this, okay? Well, Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not do anything. And then just wait in that. Now, David wrote this psalm during a very, very difficult time in his life. If you're here at Refuge, Nick did a fantastic job unpacking this. Uh, he wrote this when Absalom, his son took over his throne. But this is simply not just that time. It's actually a, basically a time where the wheels have come off of David's life. Everything has fallen apart. Everything. I'll give you just a few highlights. His son Absalom stole the throne. That same son is now chasing him down trying to kill him with thousands of people. Okay? His daughter recently has been raped, sexually assaulted by another son of his. He's a failure as a father, a failure as a king. God anointed him and then rejected him out of the throne. All because he got greedy, let his position go to his head, lusted after a woman, stole that woman, and then had her husband killed. That's where David's at right now. Okay? So David prays this first section of the psalm, or prayer, uh, showing the reality of what he's facing. Um, 
he's facing intense persecution. He's facing intense peril. He's facing intense danger. He's facing thousands of people out to get him. Another thing that we should see here is that the people who are after him are not only ready to kill him, but then they take it spiritual, right? It's not that they're just trying to take his life. They're going, your God will do nothing. Where's your God? Where's your God? You ever been in one of those moments? Maybe even internally? Where everything's falling apart and everything's against you. And the more that you try, the more it falls apart and it seems like everything you touch turns to dust. And then there's somewhere inside of you this voice that says, Where's your God? Where's your God? This is a moment in David's life that's probably, I would say, the lowest point he gets to. It is dark. All hope is lost. So I just want you to Selah on this. I want you to pause and just reflect. It's actually, I think, up there, right? Who do you become when all hope is lost? Just think about that for a while. Who do you become when all hope is lost? Do you become a person who doubles down, tries harder? Do you become a person who goes, you know what, I got myself in this mess, I'll get myself out. Do you turn to self-medication maybe? All hope is lost. Where's my bottle? All hope is lost. Where's my remote? Do you turn to escape? Do you turn to exercise? Do you turn to fishing? Do you turn to vacations? Do you turn to purchasing? Do you turn to shop, uh, what's that called, shop therapy? I do. I do. I turn to so many things. But let me just let you say a lot on this. Are you a person of prayer? Are you a person that says, everything's falling apart, Lord, and I'm telling myself and I hear from everybody around me that you're not going to do anything about this. You get real with God. David continues. But you are a shield around me, O Lord. You bestow glory on me and lift up my head. To the Lord I cry aloud and He answers me from His holy hill. Selah. So here's what David does. He remembers God. He remembers. He chooses to remember. He, He makes a choice to remember that God is there... And that the tabernacle that he set up on his holy hill, that's where God answers him from. And he knows that he's been answered. He knows that he's been spoken to. He knows that God's done. This is the David that killed a giant. This is the David who was pulled out of a a field as a shepherd boy and God anointed him and said, you're going to be king. This is David who didn't lift a hand against anybody in, in, uh, didn't lift his hand against Saul, Saul, against Saul as he's trying to, Saul's trying to take him out. He never retaliates and he's seen God work over and over again. This is David. David remembers how God has been with him throughout his entire life from the moment Samuel anoints him in his father's house until now and this changes him. Now, this is not easy for when when it gets especially dark and some of you are there. I know you are. Some of you are there in your life right now. It's especially dark. It's exceptionally dark and it is not easy to say, remember, O my soul, who the Lord is. But I will tell you that this is a spiritual discipline that is paramount to every... It is on par with prayer and reading the Word of God on a 
on a routine basis, being with God's people, singing praises to Him, you have to figure out a way, a process through which to remember God. I have a process. I brought my process with me this uh, this morning. Some of my process. I have lots, lots more. I wish I didn't have my backpack here. I got some other things in my backpack. Um, but I've got some things that that remind me of who God is. Uh, let's go back to the earliest one. This is the very first thing. I showed some of you guys these things. My friend Larry Boy, everyone's favorite hero with. Super suction ears, right? Well, um, this on the back, if you do not see this, has notes from every kid in my very first youth group that I led worship at. That's all I did was I just played music. (laughs) And they're filled with all kinds of things. I don't even know most of these names. Like, I don't think they ever actually met me. That's fine. Right? But this reminds me that there's, there's like 100 kids on this that wrote notes. This reminds me that... 17 years ago, I got to lead worship with like, it's like, it's not 100, it's probably like 30 kids. But there were like 100 in the youth group. But I got to lead worship with these kids, and some of them, I now, I mean, they're, they're grown up, they have their own kids, they've, they, but I got to be a part of their life, and I got to watch God do something. That was in Green Bay, Wisconsin. And then we moved to Miles City, Montana, and in Miles City, Montana, my youth group put together this wonderful collage of all of their faces. Some of these kids are now in ministry. And they also wrote notes on the back reminding me of who I am and what God has done. And then we left that place and we went to Duluth. And I don't have many encouraging things I kept from Duluth. I'm just going to put it that way. Except for uh, one thing. We went on a mission trip. The first time I ever like I caught the bug of what it means to have God's na- to have the nations and God's glory in your heart. And you get to carry God's glory to the nations. And we went to Africa. And I got this super fancy book book thingy with an elephant on it. Carved out of wood. And I bartered for this. I bartered for this. I took some guy who was asking me for like, I don't know, like 75 cents American, and I got him down to like 60. I mean, it was great. (laughs) Dude, I saved some serious cash on this bad boy, right? But that was an awesome experience. It was an awesome experience taking a bunch, it was me and a bunch of ladies, and we flew all the way across the world to help some kids at a, at a missionary vacation Bible school. And I got to experience the beauty of another culture, and that reminds me, like, that was, how long ago was that, Laura? Almost 10 years ago, right? Because, yeah, 10 years ago was the first time I got to go overseas and see the beauty of another culture. I mean, I got to go to Mexico, but flying across the ocean, sitting next to a drunk guy from South Africa, which I didn't too, but one of the other ladies did. That was amazing. So, uh, for her. Uh, anyways, uh, then in Duluth, there's this. This is one of my favorite things. This is where Creed's going to get embarrassed. He's not. doesn't need to be embarrassed. I can, I can take January 7, 2001, Creedon Faltinsky, I want to be a paster, P-A-S-T-E-R. <laughs> I want to be a paster because my dad is a paster. <laughs> the job is cool. I like it. Being a paster means you have to preach. With a gold star from his teacher, Red Star, saying you would be awesome. And this is Creedim, dressed all in black with a red tie and poofy hair, which is how he dressed every single Sunday when he was like, I mean, 2011, it's not 2008, that's eight years ago, you would have been like seven. It's how he dressed every Sunday as a seven-year-old. And he got like the stained glass window and the brown, everything was brown and paneling in the church. Like he nailed it. This is the church. And it reminds me that my son is watching me be a paster. 
God has called me to be a pastor. Shortly after that, shortly after that, I've shown you some of this. This is uh, this is an amazing book called the Jesus Mulaji Sin. This is a hymnal that I rescued from a Hogan-style church in the Navajo Indian Reservation when we were working there for a couple of weeks. And this is like the Navajo language, right? It's really complex because uh, who used the Navajo language? The wind talkers. You guys should know this. The wind talkers, they talked code. So what what they're doing is they're they're speaking Navajo Indian, the, the Navajo language to people across walkie-talkies in World War II. Was it World War II? Yeah, World War II. And because it was untranslatable, there was no way you could break it. This is an incredibly complex language. I'll leave this stuff out here. You guys are welcome to take a look at it. But one of my favorite parts about this is you see what's in there, right? What's in there? What's in there? Scribbles from some bored kid sitting in church. How awesome is that, right? <laughs> that was me, just in a different culture. I was the bored kid drawing in the hymnals when I was growing up, and I'm still the bored kid, I just don't have any hymnals, right? That's awesome. <laughs> and then we moved away from there, and we came to this little place. Unless you guys are going to be like, what the heck is this? Some of you are going to be like, yeah, I recommend that. I recommend that. This is a picture of our old church building. This church is old church building. And uh, something special about that sign. You can ask anybody who's been part of this church for a while. There's something crazy cool story about that sign. Watching God move us down here. And as we moved down here, we had this incredibly great banner. <laughs> incredibly great banner. And I had people write prayers on this banner for our new adventure and things that they thanked God about. I can read a few of them. Um, things that I was, things that we were thankful for. Mission trip to Russia with youth group. Uh, treasure seekers. It's right there. Big and black. Uh, being baptized by Terry, Susan, and Brian. I wonder who wrote that. Um, let's see. Becoming a family on fire for Christ together. Thank you for that, God. Having a great relationship with Quincy at the Miracle Center. Valentine's dinners. Um, Brad's sermons. Unless they misspelled Brian, I don't know who they're talking about. I know who they're talking. I know who they're talking about. <laughs> and one very personal one. Um, and I won't tell you it's from, but May 2011, my new life started here. This one reminds me of what God has done. And then I even brought my super cool Reverend Bible, my right Reverend Bible. This was, this, it says Reverend Brown with his right on there. This was given to me as a gift when I finished my ordination, which was a pretty intense deal. The reason I show you these things is because I want you to get a glimpse of like, that's my discipline. Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday or Friday or whenever the wheels come off, I surround myself by stuff because I, I want to be able to see it out of the corner of my eye and go, oh yeah, God, I forgot who you are. I forgot again who you are. And that's why the wheels have come off. That's why I lost perspective. That's why I lost this is because I'm not remembering. And so I have a discipline. And this is just a fraction of the junk that I've surrounded myself that has meaning to it. 
And so I can look around just about anywhere and I can laugh and I can smile and I can go, God, you've got this because I want to remember like David did that you are my shield. You are my strength. You have done everything. You surround me. I cry out to you and you answer me over and over again and I don't even hear the answers most of the time but I can see them now in hindsight. It's a beautiful thing. See, if you remember last week, I talked about this cycle of suffering that God brings us through that pushes us deeper down into faith as we endure and build character and have hope and see God's love for us. But the critical part to remember about that is God doesn't just throw us into bad stuff because He's vindictive. He throws us into stuff like that because He, and the Psalms say this over and over again, because He carries us through them. And we get to learn trust and we get to learn what it means to see this. Some of these pictures bring up not great memories. I'll tell you that. These are, they, I spin them real nice, but this realis time for me was a really dark time. It was really, all hope was kind of lost. I didn't know if this church was going to fall apart when we first got here. And you guys were there too, some of you guys who were here. The Miles City thing, well, Miles City, Montana, we got kicked in the teeth over and over again, especially my wife. And so I look at that and I see my wife's pain. I look at Creedon's picture in the Duluth time and that was my kid's pain and they don't even know it. They were getting torn to shreds and so was my wife. And that was, man, we've been in some really rough circumstances, but here's the deal. God answered prayer over and over again as He carried us through that tough stuff. That is what God does. In dark places when all hope is lost and the wheels come off, One of the things, the hardest issue, the biggest issue that breaks us is to say, God is God and I am not. And if I were God, I would take everybody out in this situation. So praise God that He's God and I am not. So I just want you to sail on that for a little while. How do you remind yourself of God's faithfulness? Do you? Do you? Or are you stuck in that realm of just running to the next thing, hoping that God speaks again? Sometimes we have to remember how God has already spoken. David continues. And he says, I lie down and I sleep. I love that. That's my life verse. I'm going to get that tattooed on my arm somewhere. <laughs> Psalm 3.5a. I lie down and I sleep. <laughs> Perfect. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear the tens of thousands drawn up against me on every side. Arise, O Lord. Deliver me, O my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. Whoa. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. Selah. Now, in our culture, that some of that verbiage, some of that language is tough. I just want you to know that in our culture, we just don't understand this. Okay, What David has done is he has gotten to the point where he's going, God, your vengeance is better than mine. However you want to take care of this, you take care of it. Because I want to break their real teeth. I'm going to send this to you and say, go ahead, stand against their face. Take out their jaws. Whatever it needs to happen, happen. That's yours, not mine. He releases his vengeance. He releases his destruction. He releases his sin. And he finally rests. This is a result of prayer. It's a result of coming to God saying, God, I remember who you are. I remember what you've done. I just want to... I'm struggling because I I hear that they're saying you're not there and that you don't work and that you're not going to move and that you're not going to speak. But I am going to remember all of the times that you've shown up. And then I'm going to sleep. Then I'm going to sleep. 
as a result of this process of remembering and prayer, David can rest. For many of us, things get dark. Like, I know you know this. You see this every single week. Things get dark. They just do. Life, pardon my um, half French, life sucks. And the world around us sometimes can suck us dry. Everywhere we look, we see death. We run into it all of the time. Not just physical death, but we see death in families and death in relationships and death in our souls and death in people. We see it and it can weigh you down. I will tell you this. Remember God. Remember God. Remember what He has done. Remember that Jesus came to save and that He gives you the Holy Spirit so that you can live with hope. And just remember God. It is only in that that you can have rest because until that moment where we get to say, you know what, enough of this. God, you're God and I'm not. I'm sorry for running after this. I'm sorry for trying to be you. Until until you get to that point, there's no rest. There's no rest. Just more and more weight. Darker and darker and heavier and heavier. Heavier. For some of us, the weight of the world can actually crash into your inner world. Life can get dark and you get dark with it. And I will tell you that if we don't come to God to remember who He is and what He's done, the darkness will overtake you. will overtake you. It will wash you away. The key to this is admitting that He is the only one who can do anything about this situation. Whatever that situation is. Maybe you're facing a busted up marriage, or maybe you're facing a really bad work scenario, or maybe you're facing just like pressure everywhere, or maybe you're facing other people's darkness and other people's losses and other people's families falling apart. Maybe you're facing cancer, maybe you're facing death, maybe you're facing loss, maybe you're facing a friend who rejects Jesus. Whatever you're facing, look, the, 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 the task here, the point of choosing faith or choosing against is to say, God, you're the only one who can do anything of value in this situation, anything of value. And so I give that to you because you're the only one who can. And if I keep trying to stick my face into this, stick my nose in this, and try to fix all of this, I'm going to get darker and darker. We can cry out to God. He will answer us. He will. He will answer you. My my experience, and I know many of you may, may have an issue with me, and if you have an issue with this, well, let's talk about it afterwards. I really actually do love talking about this stuff, but my experience is that when I see people who are being sucked dry, I probe question, I, I question into their lives, and I say, you know, have you, have you come to God admitting that He's God and you're not yet? And most of them are like, why should I do that? He never does anything. Why should I do that? He never speaks. He never shows up. They didn't say no, and they didn't say yes, but their body language and everything says no, they haven't. That's the thing. Like We have to come to God. David doesn't sit there and go, oh God, you're always good all the time. Mm -hmm." No, he's going, man, I'm lost, and they're telling me you're not going to move. And I remember who you are. We can cry out to God, and He will answer us. He will answer. He will answer. But here's what His answer will be. You're not God. That's His answer. You're not Jesus. You are not the Savior of this situation. You don't have shoulders big enough to carry this. You don't have anything that you can bring to this. Only I can. And your job's to come to me. Your job's to come to me. As you leave this place, I'd like you to sail on this for a little while. Do you live a life that remembers God and gives your life to His goodness and His wisdom and His power? 
And I want to show you that this is not just God like being erratic or maybe uh, egomaniac or whatever, saying, come to me, come to me, come to me. Okay, God himself knows exactly what it means to suffer. Have you ever asked yourself the question, how did Jesus in the garden, who had this moment before the Lord, not run away, knowing exactly what was coming? What did he say? Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Your will be done. Because what was Jesus' will? What did he want to do? We don't know. My guess is it was a little bit on the contrary. I don't know how that works, right? Like I'm sure there's no division in the Trinity, right? Like there actually were, but there's a submission moment where Jesus says, not my will, not what I want in this, but what you want in this, because you are good. Jesus himself walked through this whole process. Do you live a life that remembers God and gives you your that He gives you life and goodness and wisdom, that He is powerful, that He is good, that He is the only one that can do Do you live a life that remembers that? I will just let you Selah on that. Jesus, we remember You. I don't know where my friends are at. I don't know what you're speaking to them. I don't know what you're saying. I don't know, Holy Spirit, what you're doing in people's lives. I don't know these things, but I do pray that they would know, that my friends would hear you, that that as you speak and you answer back to us, hey, remember, I'm God. As you would speak that, that we would see your goodness towards us, that we would see your love for us, that we would build a discipline of being able to remind ourselves through whatever it is, if it's collecting junk like me or if it's just writing things down and journaling or whatever it is, Lord, that we would be able to see your goodness and remember who you are. And for those who are waiting around, waiting for you to hear, waiting for you to speak, maybe even waiting for their hearts to break, Maybe even waiting for themselves to drop all the way to the bottom of the pit. Lord, I pray that you would raise our eyes up to you. I pray that you would raise our faith up, our hearts up to you. As Nick prayed earlier, we have faith, give us more faith, help us to have faith. Lord, draw our eyes to you, the author and perfecter of our faith. Because until that happens, we are going to get sucked dry. We are going to get dark. Be light. Thank you that you are strong. Thank you that you are big. Help us to remember that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you have been blessed. Please join us again at Common Ground Church.